Welcome to the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we're talking about The Clone Wars, Season 2, Episodes 12, 13, and 14, The Mandalore Plot, Voyage of Temptation, and Duchess of Mandalore. We'll be getting into the stories about the Mandalorians, we'll be getting into stories about galactic politics, and we'll be talking about, did Obi-Wan have a secret love life? All that and more after this commercial break, we have no control over. Welcome back. As I said, I'm Matthew. I'm your host. I'm joined, as always, for The Clone Wars with uh, uh, Riki and Sarah Hayashi. How are you folks doing tonight? We're doing we're doing all right. Yeah. Fantastic. Ooh. We're going to keep saying this starting now, I think, but this is the best arc so far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're getting into that part of the series where it's just like, oh, yeah, it keeps getting better. Yeah. In, until like, now, I feel like we've had some, like, individual good episodes Oh, yeah, or even yeah. then, there were some weak parts. Now I feel it's really when we're getting to the heart of the show, where I feel like, okay, this is this is some good stuff to talk about. Um, yeah, this could have been a good a good movie, right? Yeah, like three episodes, flesh it out maybe a little bit. Yeah, and it's got yeah. it's got a clear beginning, a middle, and an end, and it it sets up, it plays off of things we've already seen, and it sets up you know more story to be told, but it definitely has a sort of clear trajectory, um, <clears throat> and. Today, instead of doing what we've done in the past where we cover it episode by episode, because this is really a, a very uh, specific arc, we're going to just talk about all three together. Uh, so let me just kind of give a uh, brief summary of the plot, um, and you all please jump in with stuff I miss. Um, we find out that um, the planet of Mandalore, the home of the Mandalorians, uh, is remaining neutral in this conflict, and it's actually the head of a... 1200 world organization called the um i think it's the council of neutral systems uh the council of neutral systems i may be wrong on that exact name um but there is a suspicion that uh duchess satine who is the head of uh mandalore at the moment that she might be secretly working with the separatists and so obi-wan kenobi is sent to investigate in the course of the investigation they find out that she does genuinely want peace that she wants to remain neutral but that Um, people on her planet and on the moons of her planet um, uh, in a group called Death Watch are trying to bring back the Mandalorian warrior culture. They don't want peace. And they've been working with the Separatists, not necessarily because they believe in the Separatist aims, but because they want the whole planet to to return to its warlike ways. And they think that if people think the the planet is Separatist, then the Republic will invade and then also stir up this revolution. Um... And so we have assorted hijinks along the way. Uh, you know, people are captured and, and freed and, and, and try to do things. Um, Satine eventually heads to Coruscant to, to discuss this issue, um, where Obi-Wan and a number of others are trying hard to push her towards, um, uh, towards bringing in the Republic and bringing in the military. And it, at one point, it seems like that's going to happen because there is a, a tape given that... Um, Satine, it, it seems, is not actually being honest and that most of her people do want the Republic to intervene. Um, and so it looks like the Republic is going to, to intervene. Um, we find out along the way, obviously, that uh, Darth Sidious, uh, Chancellor Palpatine, is kind of pulling some machinations to make that happen. But our heroes are able to prove that the, uh, the whole thing was a, was a hoax and that they don't actually want the Republic to come. Um, at that point, she... Um, there's more hijinks. She d- disguised herself as a, um, a, se- uh, a, a civilian. Uh, people try to assassinate her. Uh, and eventually, uh, with Obi-Wan's uh, cunning, they find out that um, the senator from Mandalore was also in on the plot. And so eventually the plot is exposed and Death Watch is seemingly taken down, at least for the moment. Um, and along the way, um, we, we get to learn a lot more about the Republic politics, about the politics of countries that are not interested in the war. And we also learned that Obi-Wan and Satine had them, uh, had themselves quite a, um, a past. And that as they both say at one point, um, you know, she wanted him to leave the Jedi for her. And, and he says that if she had made that clear, he would have left the Jedi. Um, and then we get a lot of Anakin smirking, realizing that, uh, (laughs) Obi-Wan has, uh, is not perhaps quite the unemotional Oak that he often portrays himself to be. Um, Anything big I missed on the plot? No, I think that was a. I mean, the the, the good Cliff's notes. There's yeah. there's a witty asides I'd like to add, but I think I covered the plot. 
Cool. So what um what uh Ricky, I'll start with you. What what'd you kinda like like about this plot so much? What what makes this arc something that, that really kinda you got turned into? I love schmaltzy rom com type stuff. So mm-hmm. this is right up my alley. That that's why I, I want this to be a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's nodding well her head. Yeah, because it's it's like the classic uh old flame plot line mm-hmm. where like oh like will they or won't they and they won't and they and they don't or won't um but uh, yeah there's questions of did they in the <laughs> yeah. past and then there's like a there's a confession scene where they confess their feelings even though it, it might not be their actual feelings like they they might have been just playing those parts mm-hmm. in order to distract the villain in that scene, but it, I, I felt like I wanted to read it as genuine, yeah. About, like that, that, that was them confessing, even though it was to distract the villain. Yeah, I, I definitely thought that that was real. Um, and and it's interesting. Uh, I, I didn't. I definitely liked the rom com part of it. For me, though, it's it's from a very different direction. What I love here is the politics. I love that we are now getting, you know, more of a sense of what does it mean to be somewhere that doesn't really want to be on the side of the Republic or the separatists and, and like, how does all that work? And we're getting somewhat of a picture of internal Mandalorian politics. Um, and, and some, some of it's kind of heavy handed, but as we'll get to, I think a lot of it is making interesting parallels with, with kind of stuff that happens in our own world about politics and, and warfare and civil wars and stuff like that. But Matthew, is, is this how a Republic works? Like, do I need to go back to civics class? <laughs> the, the United States of America is technically a Republic. Right. Right. Constitutionally. So if the United States goes to war with another country, can Kentucky just be like, nah, we don't want to. Uh, Kentucky actually did exactly that. During the American Civil War, um, forget, I'm, I'm really trying not to, to, to history explain here, but like, I think it's kind of an interesting thing um, during the and I think they're very intentionally trying to reference that. During the American Civil War, you had a number of states that were the border states that basically refused to be a part of fighting the South, but also did not themselves leave the Union, um, Kentucky being one of the prominent ones. And there's all kind of complicated politics there. And part of it was that Lincoln worried that if he pushed them too hard, they would leave the Union. And I, I do think that here they, um, they, 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 they blur the lines a lot because it does seem like instead of it being just sort of part of the Republic, these are a whole group that have formed like a, an actual like council and organization. So they don't, it seems like they're separate from the Republic, but they're also still part of the Republic. Um, which feels a little weird to me because it, um, certainly the council of neutral systems, um, what it, uh, distinctly reminds me of is the council of unaligned nations that ha- I don't think it was a council, the, the something of unaligned nations that happened during the cold war where a number of countries led by India and Egypt, among others, all kind of like work together to say, like, we don't want to be part of either the, the U.S. bloc or the Soviet bloc. But they were, as you said, you couldn't be both part of NATO and part of that. So the, the lines definitely do get pretty blurry there, but there is at least some historical relevance to, I think, what they're trying to say. Yeah, and it's not like just Mandalore and its moon. Like the things that Satine says, she's in charge of like, 1500 systems and like thousands yeah. of planets in that system so it's clearly like a large faction of the republic wants to be neutral but yeah are still in the republic but like we've seen that before with like isn't the banking clan mm-hmm. don't they have representation in the senate but are still quote-unquote neutral even though we find out they're aligned with the separatists well the nemodians still have representation in the senate yeah right so it, yeah. it's, a lot of it is unclear as to what the difference is between oh. a race and then like a, a political party, I, I suppose. Right within that within that race. And so think... the the trade federation like is part of the separatists, but most of their planets are still in the republic. Yeah? Question mark. Even later, like we we in later seasons, we deal with some banking clan shenanigans, and isn't. The rep- like the representative that they pick for the banking plan is also part of the Republic Senate, but they pick him because he had like some ties to the separatists and seemed like a good middle ground dude. Yeah, 
Yeah, it definitely, I, I wish they spelled it out more because again, like, I mean, there are parallels, you know, I mean, think of how many times, you know, we, uh, America during the Cold War said, oh, that's just independent American civilians who decided to all fly to Honduras or Nicaragua to join the, you know, anti-communist freedom fighters. It just so happened they were all former CIA agents or whatever it is <laughs> like, um, but, but I agree with you. I, I think to me, we get more of a picture of the politics, but it's certainly nowhere near good enough. There's a lot we still don't understand. Yeah. And also, as far as politics go, it, it takes like one video conference with one dude for them to be like, <laughs> yeah, we'll invade that planet. I, it just seems yeah. a little rash. It, I mean, it's fake news, right? Like a doctored, a doctored video almost caused an intergalactic yeah. incident. Yeah. I mean, it was doctored audio that got us into Vietnam. So, like, I, I, I guess with all this stuff, I, I think you're right. And I think that it's um, – <clears throat> I'm probably giving the writers too much credit. But I definitely feel like <laughs> all of these things are things that I feel like are not outside the realm of possibility because they've happened in our own world. Mm. And, I mean, um, like, we, we know that it's all orchestrated in right. universe because it's Palpatine's. Palpatine pulls all the strings. Sheave. Yeah. <laughs> Good old sheave. Good old sheath, or or good old palps, as he's referred to, I believe, in some of the novels. Mm. Ooh, um, that sounds it, like a disease. I've yeah. so, so like, there's a Pokemon Go. There's a Pokemon called Palpatoad. So oh, that's hilarious! Emperor Palpatoad. <laughs> um, I, I will also say, and maybe we just all saw it very differently. I I also really liked this political plot line because, mostly because of the position it put Mandalorian and and the Duchess. Um. And again, because here the parallel I'm seeing is, you know, sort of the independent countries that might have been having their own sort of internal conflict. But both the, you know, the the communists and the Americans or the, the NATO folks, you know, both try to sort of support one faction and say, like, no, of course, we're we're doing this for your internal for your own good when it's all sure. just a proxy. Um, Afghanistan. Because, yeah, Afghanistan is, you know, the British and Russians did that for hundreds of years there. Because um, to me, it's it's a perfect example. Like. To me, I find it so telling about Obi-Wan and about the Republic, how quickly he falls into that. You know, he seems very quick to try to push Satine into, you know, joining the Republic side and saying like, oh, you can't stay neutral. The war has to come to you. Yeah, I mean, but on the other hand, I do think Satine is maybe being a little willfully ignorant in the whole like, we're going to stay neutral while there's just like war raging around her and i think obi-wan has a point like the war is going to come to mandalore the war has already come to mandalore she just doesn't realize it Mm -hmm. um so like this idea of like i'm not gonna pick a side isn't necessarily feasible Mm, interesting i don't i don't think they do a good enough job of explaining you know we talked about in the past of explaining the separatists right what their political goals are for us to feel like worlds can stay neutral yeah yeah i can see that i i I guess it resonated more for me but i can totally understand why that 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 would not happen yeah it just felt like a lot of i don't know i've seen a couple people like nowadays trying to be like oh i'm just i'm just staying out of politics i don't want to get into politics and it's like by virtue of living in the society right now Mm mm-hmm that's you a fair point. Have to get into politics, and I feel like Satine, being Duchess of Mandalore, is in a very similar position. Like she, she, she can't abstain from politics. Like she's the leader of a planet and a system of planets. Yeah, I. That's, yeah. that's a lot of systems. Too. A lot I'm, of systems. Yeah, not like one or two. Like we don't really get a sense of scale of Star Wars galactic politics. Like yeah, the scale of it never seems to make are. sense. Yeah. The universe is really, really big. <laughs> it, it just doesn't seem, yeah. Well, I guess, I guess so let me kind of throw it out there because obviously I think we see it very differently. So what what was your take of the, the was there stuff you liked about what they had to say about galactic politics in this? Or did you think it was all just kind of badly told? I mean, like, I, I enjoyed it. I, I liked the conversation around it. I think I just maybe agreed a little more with Obi-Wan than, than you did, uh-huh. Matthew. But I don't think that's wrong. Oh no no no! I, I think both. Okay, wait. So I, Sarah agrees with Obi Wan. <laughs> Ma- what Matthew? You agree with Satine? I think so. I, I well, especially, and we'll get more into this. I I think 
the comments she makes to Obi-Wan and to Anakin about how warlike the Jedi have become, I think, are, are very accurate. But I but even just putting that aside, I feel like the way at least I got the story presented is it seemed like there's this internal conflict within the um, Mandalorians and the Separatists are definitely supporting one side. And that's certainly a bad thing. But that the Republic coming in to support the other side isn't going to make it any better. It's actually going to make it much worse. And that the best thing the Republic can do that, – that in that regard, Satine is, is quite justified, I think, in saying I want to stay neutral because the war hasn't come to her. It's that, that one side is trying to take sides in the internal conflict. So then I suppose it's up to me to take the side of pre Visla, <laughs> the, the third party in all this. Ooh, that's not the so, side you want to be on. So pre Visla is the Mandalorian. He, he starts as the governor of Concordia. Right. Moon of yeah. Which is a populated moon because there's lots of those in this universe. Where uh, all the warriors were sent. Mm-hmm. And then died is... out because apparently being a warrior is genetic, which I didn't quite understand. <laughs> but... yeah, they probably killed each other by yeah. war- warrioring. Uh, but Pre Visla, which is a weird name. His first name is Pre. Yeah, that's a weird name. Is secretly the leader of Death Watch. Which is also a weird name. Which is a bad name to give your organization from a PR standpoint. <laughs> yes. Death um, Watch. I kind of hope he's... maybe it's a bad translation or something like that. A little bit of propaganda in the translation. Because, yeah, Death Watch is not a uh, good PR move. <laughs> no. I mean, Dark Side is also not a great PR move. But... Also he's, true. He's delightfully voiced by John Favreau. You say delightfully. Oh, I hadn't realized uh, that I, was him. I like it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, John Favreau, big big old nerd, but yeah. Previously. Yeah, so he's, he's, he's conspiring with the Separatists. Like, he's in communication with um, Dooku. Right. And, and they have all their kind of, like, machinations. Like, oh, like, if you do this, then we can come in and take over. So he he basically wants to rule Mandalore, and right. is, is trying to use this to to oust Satine. Yeah, as far and, as I can tell, he has no loyalty to the Separatist cause. He just like th- find, thinks the Separatist can be a useful ally in his you know internal politics of Mandalore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants he wants the Separatists' <clears throat> help to basically con- like con the Republic into showing up to police. Mandalore, which would upset the Mandalorian population, and the Death Watch can come in and, and rid them of the Republic, which would be good for the Separatists, and then hopefully good enough that uh, the, the people would be like, hey, these Death Watch folk are right. pretty alright, despite their name being Death Watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, I like John Favreau a lot. I didn't love his voicing of previous, though, but maybe that's just because I'm like, too familiar with John Favreau's voice and couldn't like get John Favreau out of my head. So I w- I'm curious, Matthew, because you said you didn't realize that that was him. Like what you thought about the way previously sounded, I guess. I I thought he was fine. Like I thought he was an interesting character who had a um like I found him a lot more compelling than a lot of the other villains we've had because mm-hmm. as as we said, like the separatists have not been in any way explained, but here was a person who had, you know, easily definable goals that I could understand. And it's still a little bit the mustache twirly of like, I want us to return to being a warrior race. Like that seems a little bit silly, but, um, you know, he, he, to me, he was a much more interesting villain than, uh, or antagonist than most of the ones we've gotten before. Um, and I think his voice just sounded like one more voice. I certainly didn't pick up on anything special about it. Was there something in particular about his voice that bothered you? Yeah. He just sounded... I don't like I I was talking to Ricky about it while we were watching it and he's like, Well what do you want him to sound like? I'm like, I don't know, I want him to sound like douchier, I guess. <laughs> like more of a jerk, more like um But we have those. We do have those. Like Dooku has the I count Dooku. Yeah, and everyone has like a vaguely European slash transatlantic accent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean it's it, it's it's a very, very, very minor I don't even want to say beef. That's legit. So, minor concern <laughs> minor thought i had and, um, and just to be clear I, I 
earlier, I certainly wasn't saying that you're wrong for, for disagreeing with me on, on the neutrality idea. I, I was just trying to generate more conversation because, you know, we'd, we'd hit kind of a lull there. But, yeah, no, oh, I, yeah. I, I think it's definitely – to me, that's that's a good part of the show is we're now at the point where, like, I think what side someone should be on is not clear anymore. And I think that the – to me, the show did a pretty good job of presenting the issues in a way that it's not 100 percent clear whose side we should wind up on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. Especially if we think back to um, the episode where they go to the planet full of, oh, shoot, I forget what race they are. They're like the little Irish folk, but they're mm-hmm. not Irish. Um, and the the leader of that planet was just like so staunchly like, we're not going to fight anybody ever. And the Separatists were like literally on their planet blowing stuff up. And he's like, let's not fight anyone. Um, it just felt really strange whereas at least like with Satine wanting to remain neutral like they have this tie to this warrior like past that she's actively trying to push away from mm-hmm. like and so I can really see her motivations behind it and she doesn't realize that Death Watch and the Separatists are conspiring so she thinks that they are far removed from the war so like it makes sense why she wants to remain neutral um, and I, I think you alluded to it earlier Matthew but there's a good line she has where Obi-Wan says that they're fighting for peace. And she's like, oh, fighting for peace. That's a contradiction. Yeah, I, I, I wrote it down because I thought it was such an interesting exchange. Um, so Sabine says, uh, after Obi-Wan had just given her this long speech about why he thinks that, you know, they should join the war. And I think he actually ends with saying, I'm a general. Um, and Sabine says, I remember a time when the Jedi were not generals, but peacemakers. Anakin then says, we are protectors, Highness. Yours at the moment. We fight for peace. And then Sabine says, what an amusing contradiction. Yes. Yeah, yeah. What What was your it's, kind of take on that it's exchange? Satine. Oh, like Sabine, Sabine is actually a different. Yeah, that's right. Character. Satine. Satine. Oh yeah, you're. Which you're is interesting. So, <laughs> so Satine. This is like a a tangent, but Satine is the name of Nicole Kidman's character in Moulin Rouge, where she plays opposite Ewan McGregor. <laughs> okay. So I don't oh, know if that was intentional or not. Oh, I think it was hundred yeah. percent. Okay, yeah. Good. Yeah, that sounds like such. I a... wish they would sing some songs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fun. Um, but yeah, yeah they do have so, great chemistry. So, for both of you, what what's your take on that exchange? What do you think's going on there, and what what do we kind of learn from that? They want to kiss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's one of those like argument leads into a kiss things, and well, they don't actually. We'll, we'll get to the romance part, I promise. But I just mean in terms of like the the position on like the Jedi as as protectors or peacemakers or or or, or warlike people. Yeah, I I mean, I do agree with Satine's point of view that the Jedi have become too warlike, but I don't necessarily agree that fighting for peace is a, is a contradiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 like the, it seems that the, the Jedi, this feels like a religion and politics thing where the Jedi have gotten too wrapped up in the political nature of things, and that's not really their purpose. But the idea of, of fighting for peace is... It's something that I, I get behind and don't see a contradiction in. Yeah. I just don't know if it's the, if it's the Jedi who should be doing it. Yeah, they shouldn't. That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you have to fight for peace if evil is fighting you. Yeah. And we, we've had this question of, are the Separatists evil? Like, what do they actually want to do? But presuming that they are, like, the Republic should fight them. However, I, I don't think the Jedi should be. And ultimately, like, at the end, and by end, I mean Empire Strikes Back, like, Yoda pretty much comes to this conclusion, right? Like, that they were just wrong yeah. to have been involved in this conflict. Yeah, and I think that's really important, because I, I think you're right, it's kind of a threading of the needle there. Like, I I think 10 years ago, I would have had a very pacifist idea, and maybe even the first time I saw the show, like, yeah, you can't fight for peace. You've got to, you know, nonviolence your way to peace. And... I, I think especially the last five years have really changed me on that and made me realize, like, like I said, yeah, you, you, can't, you can't be Chamberlain. You know, you, you, when, when evil makes it clear that they want to fight, you have to fight back. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think to me, though, I, I, I like the idea that, that it shouldn't be the Jedi. And especially I think to me what this is getting at is the um, – I, I may have mentioned this metaphor before, but I'm really, I, I really keep thinking of the idea of like when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. And then I think this is an instance where part of what she's saying is that – the Jedi have become so locked into their identity as generals and as war leaders that now everything looks to them like a military situation. 
and and that that a situation like this where I think she's saying like I want the Jedi to help me deal with Death Watch, but a military invasion won't do that. Um, to me, that that I think is a really kind of telling moment for that. Yeah, definitely. And even when so when Obi Wan first gets there, um, in like the first episode of this arc, there's an attack made against Sabine. Sabine. Now I'm saying it. Satine. Sabine is a character from Rebels, which we're also watching at this time, and it's yep. getting on there. Satine. Um, anyway, so yeah, there's someone attacks her. Obi-Wan runs off and tries to catch them. The, the attacker ends up, like, jumping off of a balcony and, like, killing themselves. It's quite... It's another one of these, oh, this is a kid's show moment. But then he's, like, around investigating and, like, policing everybody in the scene and I was kind of like why like what authority does Obi-Wan have to be doing this and I guess like he was sent there by the Republic to investigate this um Satine's ties with the Separatists so I mean like in a way he sort of has a like outside force being called in but in another way like why aren't you just letting the Mandalorian investigation department yeah deal with this it's a little weird. Yeah, it definitely seemed like kind of off there. Um, well, and just I, very like world policey, right? Yeah. There's another moment in it where um, uh, Satine specifically says to him that um, she can't trust Obi Wan because of how often he relies on violence, uh, which mm-hmm. I thought was is interesting, especially because I, I and I'm trying to remember. I I don't remember as much the rest of the season, um, and, and we'll we'll talk about it in a spoiler section in a bit, so don't go into it yet. But um. I'm very curious to see how much this affects Obi-Wan because obviously she's someone he really cares about. And we've had other people kind of call out the Jedi a little bit and they're not really notice. I'm curious to see if he kind of takes some of this to heart and if we see him sort of start to become more aware of some of these problems. She just wants him to be a zookeeper. (laughs) Ride around on animals. To leave out his... So, okay, let's get into the the fun part. Let's talk about the romance here. Because it it does tie into the whole idea of attachment. But just about the romance. What what did you like about this uh, whole arc so much? Ah, it's so great. Especially if you compare it to, like, Padme and Anakin. And Padme makes an appearance near the end of the, the arc. But it's just, like, they have such great chemistry. Even when they're, like, bickering with each other it's like oh just kiss already yeah <laughs> there's a line that she has about him um let me show you the contradict what is it the um oh senators i presume you're acquainted with a collection of half truths and hyperbole known as obi-wan kenobi yes. um that's a burn but that's a burn about someone you really care about like that's mm-hmm. a very flirtatious insult <laughs> if i've ever heard one yeah that's not that's not something you throw out about like some dude you barely know, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even when... So there's a, a point where Obi-Wan's been captured by Death Watch. And he's, like, about to be... There's, there's a machine that's turning along and... and it's like a mining machine. Yeah, because there's always some machine that some, like, the hero is trapped Just shoot on. Him. And someone else has to, like, show up and turn the machine off. Um, so, yeah, Satine needs to turn off said machine. And they're even, like, still bickering. Uh, and he's like, turn it off now. And she's like, I'm trying to. You have to be patient. He's like, running out of patience right now. But it's, yeah, it's just a cute interaction that they have. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel, like, forced. And it doesn't feel like Obi-Wan's about to compare her to sand at any time. <laughs> this time it wasn't there... me who brought that up. <laughs> there is a lot of sand on Mandalore, as it turns out. Also Most true. of the planet has been devastated. So right. what we see in the episode is actually like their their domed cities, um, but outside of the dome city, it, it's pretty much like a desert planet because of the civil war that happened previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and Obi Wan also explains that like to when well, he's talking to Anakin about Satine and how like she saw her her world completely ravaged by civil war and this is why she's so so anti-violence mm-hmm. um and like it makes sense and then anakin's like so did you do it which and he's like and, <laughs> yeah anakin plays his part very well yeah in all of this anakin's a great wingman yeah 
Which well, I think also like speaks volumes about Anakin's character because right? he doesn't see the he's not like shocked and horrified that Obi Wan has a crush on this girl. He's just like, ooh. Yeah, he he does the elbow nudge. Yeah, yeah. When the they're on a ship traveling to Coruscant, and they the clones discover some assassin droids in the cargo hold mm. and call the Jedi for help, and Obi Wan like jumps up, he's like ready to go, and Anakin says, no, no, no. no. I got this. And like you, you go be with your girlfriend. I don't know. <laughs> he uses that line later, I think, but but yeah. throughout the episode, he's like trying to push them together. Yeah, yeah. And so you think we can clearly see that like Anakin isn't as appalled of like Jedi attachment as maybe <laughs> he should be. Yeah, he he just hopes if Obi Wan, you know, go, goes through with it, then it'll be okay for him to be married, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, oh, I, I like my buddy's I think... doing it too. I think this is all a really interesting statement about all of the stuff about attachment. Because I, I think you're right. Like, um, you know, Anakin has never quite believed this. He very much, you know, he want, uh by this point in the show, uh, him and Padme have had their secret wedding. Um, you know, and, and I think it's, it's very clear that I think Obi-Wan knows. You know, that Obi-Wan maybe doesn't know they're married. Maybe he doesn't know that they're actually sleeping together. Um, certainly Star Wars would never acknowledge that except that she gets pregnant. So clearly something sexual i mean maybe ivf we don't know but yeah <laughs> i think they had sex um uh, oh god um but like <laughs> to me i think for anakin this is a kind of very important like a vindication moment of like see obi-wan gets it too and for me it just kind of brings up this whole idea of this jedi idea of attachment because i've always thought it was kind of ridiculous and honestly one of the things that leads to the fall of the jedi is this insistent that insistence that people can just like put aside those feelings and just be um a jedi like a monk what i think part of what we're seeing is that like obi-wan was able to make that sacrifice but at very high cost and there's a part of him that clearly still has feelings for her um yeah attachments mm -hmm. so let's let's talk about the vader moment well, so anything, nothing else on the uh, uh, the idea of attachment here. I'm just kind of curious. What do you think of the the whole Jedi concept of attachment and and how this episode's kind of changed any of that? I think it's just a continuation of everything we've been talking about, and especially with Anakin. Like it's, mm -hmm. you know, the first episode in this arc was just Obi Wan on Mandalore with Satine, and then at the very end of that, they add Anakin for this voyage, the starship voyage. And I, it just all works very well, you know, just him playing the wingman, but yeah. also the the attachment part of him. Yeah, I think, like you said, vindicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and there's even like there's a moment. So they they discover these assassin droids in the basement or in the cargo hold. I guess it's not really a basement on a ship. Uh, Anakin goes down to help out the clones and R two, and R two's freaking out because he just saw like a clone get abducted by this giant. Spider-Bot. Uh, yeah, like Spider-Bot. It's freaky. And then um, when Anakin gets down there, he's like, well, don't worry, little buddy. Like, I'm here now. It's okay. So, like, he's even showing such attachment and affection for his droid, which oh, yeah. he's he's done in the past, right? Like, there was a time when um, a ship exploded and R2 was on it and, like, Anakin Yay. needed to go out into space to save R2 with the, like... The, the the thinly veiled excuse that oh I haven't wiped his memory so <laughs> we don't want the the separatists to get him but it was just to save his little buddy yeah it was one hundred percent attachment yeah um, and I, I like that that's a, an undercurrent of the entirety of Clone Wars that we're always sort of coming back to this like meditation on attachment because I don't okay it's been a long time since I've seen the prequels but. In my recollection, it just seemed like such an abrupt, like, Palpatine's like, your wife's sick. Uh, the dark side's pretty cool. And Anakin's like, me, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, whereas this seems like it's a more methodical, like, really exploring how Anakin could shift to the dark side, both through his relationship with Palpatine and his relationship to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're definitely getting a lot more of that here. Um. Uh, Riki, you had stuff about Darth Vader moments you want to talk about? Yeah, so the end of this second episode, the Senator Merrick from the other planet in the Mandalore system, Kelvala, Kelvala, I think, 
Um, so he's the traitor. He's he's helping the separatists. He takes Satine away at gunpoint, and also has a bomb on the ship. So he's got a a detonator for a bomb, and he's holding Satine, and and Obi Wan confronts him. They have their little exchange of confessions to distract him. Satine uh, high heels him in the foot and escapes, <laughs> grabs his gun, and so. She's holding Merrick at gunpoint. Obi-Wan's got his lightsaber out. It's very tense. But but then Merrick's like, Aha! Neither of you can kill me. Because Satine is a pacifist. And Obi-Wan, you're a Jedi. So you wouldn't just like kill me in cold blood. Like, ha ha ha, I'm gonna get away. Like, villain laugh. And I think he he says a line like, Which of you, like, which of you is the cold-blooded killer? Yeah. And then... Just perfectly on cue, a lightsaber ignites from behind him, like right through his chest. Yeah. And there's Anakin. And very subtly they play the Imperial March Darth Vader theme music under it. And both Satine and Obi-Wan are clearly sort of like, Anakin, you shouldn't have done that. But also, (laughs) they don't seem... they, They sort of feel like... At least the sense I got is that they feel like they should be mad at him for doing it, but they also know he did what was needed. Like, I I don't know if they're yeah. willing to admit that to themselves, but it, I definitely did feel like they were conflicted about it. Yeah, for sure. Like, it, I mean, they're both, they're both just, like, no killing. But, I mean, Anakin saved their butts. It was, it bothered me a little how the tension just like left that scene mm-hmm. because he kills him and you hear the music and oh i think obi-wan is the one who objects and gives him like anakin and he just shrugs he's like what he was gonna blow up the ship and then like that's it yeah vader's gonna evade yeah <laughs> so it, it was like 90 percent of that was really good and then like that last little shrug just kind of i don't know if it's because again, like cartoon, and they didn't want to dwell too much on the fact that it it was just cold blooded murder. Yeah, but it kind of like oh yeah, like I saved the day. Like cue the uh, the regular theme music. Da, 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 da. That's how it felt. Yeah, yeah. I, I can definitely get that. And he also Anakin also gives a nice um, a, a nice wingman. Like, I'm going to look away now. Yeah. <laughs> Tried to give them a moment to kiss, but then the clone showed up and it was, it was ruined. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one, one of the just last little thing that I had, and then I think we're going to uh, uh, go into a spoiler section. Um, at this point, all three of us have now seen all seven seasons of The Clone Wars. And so when we do these, we want to, you know, for those of you who are following along, who haven't seen it yet, we will, um, you know, be sure to only talk about things we've seen so far. But then after a spoiler break, we're going to talk about you know, how we feel about all this, knowing everything that's going to come later. Um, but one thing I just want to say about this quickly is um, the other thing that just kind of stood out to me is at one point, like Obi-Wan says, uh, you know, I would have left the Jedi Order for you. Um, mm. And it just, mm. I mean, A, that's a very powerful moment, but also like, I kind of know what, what does that mean? Like, we we never actually learn what's the official like status of force users who are not part of the Jedi or the Sith. As the story goes on, they keep popping up more and more. Um, and so it really makes me wonder, like, do, do you have to be sort of registered? Do you have to, like, promise not to use the Force to win at gambling or something? Like, what what happens if you're a Jedi who leaves the... Because uh, clearly Dooku did it and Saifu Dias did it, so there's precedent. Um, but yeah, it, it just made me really curious about that and want to know more about how all that works. Yeah. Turn in your badge and lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> well, not even Maybe necessarily your, your lightsaber, right? Um, well, wouldn't you turn in your lightsaber? I think you would. I think. I, I think certainly. Um, yeah, let's talk about that in the spoiler section. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, are we at spoiler break yet? Yeah, I, I think it's a good time to do that now. So, uh, to anybody who uh, is going to check out now, um, please thank you so much. Uh, thanks so much for being a great listener. Uh, to to you and to everybody, you can learn more about this podcast um, by uh, following us on uh, Facebook or on Twitter, uh, both of which are on. Um, the, the links to them are in the show notes to this. Uh, though you can also, if you search for Star Wars Universe Podcast, make sure you use all four of those words. Uh, it should come up. Um, if you have thoughts about what we talked about, uh, please feel free to write it in. 
to either of those places, or you can find us on uh, Gmail. Uh, that that information is also uh, in the in the show notes. So, to all of you guys, thank you so much. And we are now going to enter a spoiler section in three, two, one. Spoilers. Yeah. We definitely know that that you have to give up your lightsaber because Ahsoka has to. But she she gets them back. In she, she Rebels, makes, she's using her lightsabers in Rebels. She makes different lightsabers. She makes different ones? Okay. Yeah. And and um, have you guys seen the, the newest season, season seven? Yeah. Of Clone Wars? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because she, actually she she's given them back, but then she actually leaves them at the end of that one. But that that's yeah. kind of... But I thought that was more of a like ceremonial, I'm right. done with you, Jedi. I'm going to just like, nobody takes her lightsabers away from her. Anakin refurbishes them and gives them back to her while she's still in this like not a jedi limbo i thought she had to turn them in when she left but i may have been wrong there but that was certainly the impression i have we'll, we'll get to that it's, it's season five yeah she turns yeah. them in but well it, so she, okay she just like storms out of the room kind of right she's actually a fugitive yeah so they so take she her doesn't have her lightsabers because she's been arrested yeah because, um, oh gosh, uh, that, okay, <laughs> a but, lot of things. But then she clears her name. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. clears her name, but in that same moment. So they're in the like Jedi Council room, and Mace Windu is like apologizing, and Yoda's apologizing. They're like, oh, sorry, we should have trusted you and your master. And she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you should have. And they're like, well, back to Jediing. And she's like, no, I'm good. Yeah. I'm done. Peace. <laughs> I think it's her choice. I think Anakin is hands her her lightsabers back probably mm-hmm. and then she she doesn't accept it and turns yeah. and leaves yeah and then later in the episode that takes place right before uh the beginning of episode three um she comes back and they like make rex an honorary general so that ahsoka can commander yeah, honorary commander, so that Ahsoka can go off and be on a mission with him without Ahsoka actually being a Jedi. And Anakin gives her back her right. lightsabers. He's like, "Hey, I saved these for you. I painted them." And she was like, "Oh, thanks," and takes them, but then ends up leaving them. Right. And again, not to go too deep on that, but I just thought it was an interesting note, like in terms of whether Obi Wan would have to give them up. Um, yeah. If you left the but Jedi. even even so, like, yeah, it seems like there's nothing preventing you from making a new lightsaber yeah if you are a force user or even i I guess even if you're not um well sure like if you leave the jedi order and become a sith you make a new lightsaber and it's red and and it's just this whole (laughs) interesting question i think that never gets really talked about kind of like we were talking about global politics there's just there's a lot of parts of the universe that they don't ever explain Mm -hmm. um I recently rewatched Phantom Menace because we're we're doing a movie by movie uh podcast now that we're we're done with um the mandalorian and Poor one thing soul. I noted is that <laughs> Qui-Gon Jinn basically just says, like, if you're Force-sensitive on the Outer Rim, we never find you. Um, which made me be like, well, what happens to all those people then? <laughs> like, um, yeah. so, yeah. Well, it I, seems like a lot of them don't really know that they're Force-sensitive. Right. Yeah. Like, they maybe they can do, like, um, like in uh, what movie is it? One of the new movies, right? At the end, there's the kid with the broomstick. Who like Last Jedi? Last, Last Jedi, Jedi yeah. who uses the Force to like put the broomstick back in his hand, right? It seems like, and um, in Star Wars Rebels, at the very beginning, we find out that uh, the protagonist is Force sensitive, but has lived to be like fourteen, fifteen, and and didn't really know, yeah. right? So Aladdin. Like, Aladdin. <laughs> um. So yeah, I feel like it, it. It you probably just don't realize that you're Force sensitive. Yeah, no, if think, no one sure. shows up and is in, like, "Hey," yeah. in legends, in legends canon, in the uh, Jedi Academy novels, Luke tries to restart the Jedi Order, and he right. goes searching for candidates. And a lot of the search is focused on just like people who are lucky, basically. Like one of the candidates, I think they find in a casino who just like keeps winning. It's like, how do you do this? Ah, you're <laughs> using the Force. Yeah, that's not ethical. Let's talk about that. Um, <laughs> well, so anything else? Um, <clears throat> Do you have any other kind of thoughts on, on the, this plot arc, knowing everything that's going to happen in the rest of the show? Oh, my goodness. I, I can't. It breaks my heart. It's so much. Are we going to talk about that? Well, I feel like, I mean, we're going to get to... Spo- spoilers. More spoilers. Spoilers on spoilers. Yeah. We're, we're definitely deep in a spoilers land for, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we know, knowing the, the tragic end that happens to Satine and sort of how this whole mm-hmm. story plays out, it just it just makes these scenes so much more heartbreaking. Yeah. 
Yeah, and even well, even when we saw um, Senator, oh gosh, the the Prime Minister, not the Senator. Almec. Almec, yeah. At the beginning, I was like, "Oh, it's this jerk." Yeah. <laughs> well, so here's here's my question, um, <clears throat> because I think one of the the like, biggest questions has always been like, why didn't Obi Wan stop Anakin and Padme? You know, why didn't he kind of realize like this is a terrible, terrible idea and will lead Anakin in exactly the directions that Jedi don't want? Mm-hmm. Do you think it's possible that this is part of why? That Obi-Wan still always carries this flame for Satine and a part of him is like, maybe I should have tried to do this and I want to kind of not, I, I still disapprove of what Anakin's doing, but I don't have the heart to tell him no, since I know how painful it was for me. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. I think there's also like chosen one syndrome mm-hmm. in there, right? Like they're like, Anakin is the chosen one. So they kind of just let him do what he wants to a large extent. That's fair. Um, and also I don't think Obi-Wan willfully, but I don't think he knows the full ins and outs of Anakin and Padme's relationship, right? Like, I think he's kind of just like, well, I don't think he knows like all the juicy details. Well, sure. Like, I think, and I think he's purposely not knowing all the juicy details. Like you could very easily and just like sort of turns a blind eye to it. But, but he, he knows, he knows that they are in a relationship. Yeah, well, like, I, I think the the scene at the beginning of season seven makes that. Really yeah, well, he's literally had me for me. Yeah. He's literally yeah. being the sock on the door. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it just—I um, I think whether or not it's the sort of reason, I think it definitely does put an interesting sort of light on all of that. That you know, clearly mm-hmm. he, no. and maybe it's even that he like he he thinks that if he tells Anakin to make the choice he did, Anakin will be like, "Peace out, I'm going with Padme." Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, Obi Wan is has got to be tinged with guilt and regret. Well, he even talks about how he says something like, "Like Yoda always talks about giving up attachment, but he never mentions the like the remorse that goes along with it, or something like that." Yeah. Um, well, sure. There's the, rem- the there there's the general remorse, but by the end of it, like Satine is murdered. Yeah, and. I, f- I feel like Obi-Wan probably blames himself. That if he, if, if he had chosen to leave the Jedi Order... He'd be with her. Then this never would have happened, yeah. right? Like, that type of mm. time travel mm. regret. That's an interesting thing, yeah. Like, the alternate, the path not taken. That maybe somebody else would have trained Anakin and things would have worked out differently? Yeah. Who's to say? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. All right, any other kind of last thoughts folks have before we wrap up? Um just like gonna rattle through a couple things go for it uh, so in the third episode when she's quote-unquote in hiding because this uh oh yeah so the, the the doctor tape is shown to the senate and they're like oh yeah they clearly want our help and then she meets up with an informant who gives her the undoctored tape the informant is very quickly assassinated after handing over the tape mm-hmm. so then Satine like goes into hiding and she's she's dressed as a commoner which is ridiculous because she's just wearing like a really big cloak yeah. and nobody else wandering around on Coruscant except Obi-Wan when he goes to meet with her in secret is wearing a really big cloak. And I'm just like, that's a that's a terrible disguise. Yeah, that that's definitely worth noting. I also thought it was interesting that um, I'm not quite sure where the idea came out that to be a female ruler, especially one from nobility, um, even if it's elected nobility, you have <laughs> to have truly ridiculous hair. Um, all the hair she's hair standing pieces? with yeah. Padme. Yeah. Yeah, her and Padme together is kind of an interesting sign. Well, I even thought about that. So I was thinking, because, yeah, Padme shows up later in the episode and she's got Padme hair going on. But, like, it's probably not actually her hair, right? Like, it's probably just a headpiece that has hair on it to make it look like her hair, because that would be insane. And I know, like, a lot of um, aristocracy, like, in Victorian times, a lot of the, like, elaborate tall hair that had like birds sticking out of it it was just a, a big old wig that you yeah stuck on your head so i'm assuming they're all wigs but yeah why why does your uh, senator have to have crazy big hat hair it's <laughs> a good question yeah what, what else uh, any other last things i just i don't know i i really i really liked this arc a lot and 
going going back to it, having seen the end of the Clone Wars and even having seen a lot of Rebels, which deals with stuff on Mandalore, mm-hmm. um, made it better. I don't know. It was it was interesting. Sometimes I worry about going back to old episodes after having seen newer continuity stuff that you're just gonna like find a lot of inaccuracies or, or weird continuity errors. But yeah, yeah, it just made it better. Like seeing Prime well, Minister seeing Previsla, I was like, no, this these guys are. Yeah, this does so, seem like a place where they really set up a plot and paid it off later. Mm-hmm. So in terms of continuity, Mandalore is a complicated place because all of the legend stuff deals with um, Boba Fett, right? As the primary Mandalorian and it does it does a lot of stuff with that and you kind of have to wash it all away because there's too much but they they cherry pick bits and pieces like the fact that uh when previsla fights against obi-wan he mentions that the Mandalorians fought the Jedi mm-hmm. in the past and that's that's definitely a part of of a big part of legends is that I, I think it might have even been like called the Jedi Mandalorian War or something like that. So so that was big. Um, they try to like patch the Jango Fett problem. Yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the beginning, they mentioned Jango Fett, and um, I think I think it's previous Logan mm-hmm. says like, oh, like he's not Mandalorian. He just he just he's a bounty hunter who stole our armor. Yeah. Right, but a, a vigilante. Yeah, well, even when Previsla said that, I got the impression that it was, like, Jango Fett could be Mandalorian, but Previsla's like, that traitor, he's just a common bounty hunter. Yeah, right. He's not a real Mandalorian. I mean, I'll definitely say that at this point, watching Clone Wars, watching Rebels, where there's a, some, a lot of stuff about Mandalore, and watching The Mandalorian, yeah. I am so confused about what Mandalorians are. And I'm, <laughs> I, I'm waiting to get some more resolution, and we'll wait on that. But that's definitely a, a, you know, something I think we're going to see explored more. I mean, um, I... Yeah. yeah, because in terms of, like, spoiler stuff, the, the TV show Mandalorian, kind of, I think at that point, that group, that faction, is not even, like, a racially Mandalorian thing. It's become more of a collective of yeah, it's a orphans. Re- it's a community with a very strong religion that yeah, holds it together. That is based on the Mandalorian traditions. Right. Yeah, it, it's just so interesting because, like, at about the same time, they were, you know, not obviously with this, but, like, the most recent season of Clone Wars that came out in The Mandalorian, um, they're, they're kind of releasing stuff about the same society at different points in time, and it just doesn't tie in together yet. So I'm curious yeah. to see how I- it will. I kind of like it. So we have like the dark saber as a common thread throughout mm, Clone yeah. Wars, Rebels, and the Mandalorian. Oh, that's right. It is the first time like, we saw it, the dark saber. Yeah, yeah. And then we get more about it in uh, Rebels, and we get like a tease of it at the very end of the Mandalorian. So I think like that's a fun legend slash mythos that we get to follow through. Um, and then there's there's also I, I like that not all Mandalorians are the same thing. Um, cause this, I'm going to bring up Star Trek, sorry, but like whenever we talk about Klingons, it's like, ah, oh, Klingons are the warrior race. It's like, then who's writing the Klingon operas, <laughs> right? Who are the Klingon architects building the buildings? Are, are there like Klingon janitorial staff? Like there's, there's clearly more than just warriors on this planet. That's not how a society works. So the idea that we have Mandalore as like, this fully fledged populated planet and then there's different factions of Mandalorian and everybody has sort of a different idea of what it truly means to be Mandalorian like Previsla and his moon clan are like ah we are a warrior race we must get back (laughs) to these roots whereas uh Satine Satine is is just wanting to I was gonna say Sabine again who's also Mandalorian confusing um yes Satine wants to be a, a peaceful neutral planet and just folks doing their thing yeah so yeah i I don't know i i i like that there's ambiguity in what mandalorian actually is yeah well it goes to the idea that like you don't always always know you know different people have Mm -hmm. different stories and like mythology changes and and you know if five people all come from the same town and then scatter because the town is burned down those five are each going to have probably pretty different ideas of what the town was like and if each of them forms a society that's like we are the society of people from that town they'll probably be pretty different 
you know, because yeah. stories change. I, I will also say um, on one of the last the one of the episodes we talked about the Mandalorian, um, uh, my partner on that one, uh, Jeff and I had a lot of theories about what uh, the Black Blade could be because I'd utterly forgotten this plot line. Um, <laughs> and so I thought it was kind of fun that we uh, now got to see it. Um, you know, a nice yes. reminder that like, you know, uh, on these podcasts, we're going to try and do the research. A lot of times we're not going to know all the details. And I think that's okay because we're not, we're not, we're not trying to be a Star Wars encyclopedia. We're trying to be a conversation of Star Wars fans. But mm-hmm. it was kind of awesome that like we just got that negative feedback and then we're like, oh, yep, this is what the, the Black Blade is. Okay, kind of cool. Um, and seeing how... I'm now going to be excited to rewatch all the stuff in Clone Wars about the Black Blade, knowing that it shows up at the end of the TV show, The Mandalorian. Yeah, and I know you're well, not. I, I like to do the research. I yeah, know, you're a nerd. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us have lives. No, no, I, I, uh... I love that we do the research. I just, I know we had one fan who said they were very disappointed that we didn't, and I just kind of want to make clear, like, this is not what that podcast is about. Like, we're not going to mm-hmm. try to get the exact details. We're going to talk about like. As a fan, if you'd seen this without doing the research, how would you feel about it? That That's, yeah. I think, what we're talking about here. And, like, feedback is nice, too. Like, if there's something that's that we've said that's, like, totally inaccurate, like, get in the comments. Tell yeah. us about it. Like, that's a good conversation starter. Um, like, tell us why we're wrong about our opinions. Not mm-hmm. our opinions, but, you know, like, you're you, everyone is allowed to have their own take on this, right? Yeah. And I think, like, we're just all here sharing our takes. But, so, yeah, you'll... It is- Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, Matthew's not uh, quite through with Rebels yet, but Rebels has a really fun segment on the, on the Black Blade as well, and I think you'll really nice. enjoy it, and I'd be interested in your take on that as well. Cool. We'll definitely get there. Um, well, so it's established, it's called the Darksaber. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's called and the established here. The Darksaber. Darksaber, right. And it's established here in these episodes that Pre Visla's ancestor stole it from the Jedi during that previous conflict. The right. Jedi Temple. Yeah. Which is weird to me because it it is unlike any other lightsaber. So I don't know if that means that the lightsabers of that era were constructed differently or it, previous list or the ancestors stole it because it was so yeah. unusual. Well, certainly one th- one time. thing we've been told, I believe, is that you have to be force sensitive to be able to be good at fighting with them. Um, and clearly the black, the black saber, you don't have to be. And I don't know if that's because Mandalorians have trained to be very, very good with them or, uh, you know, in spite of that, or because there's something about this particular lightsaber that doesn't require that. Oh, oh, there's so much stuff in Rebels, Matthew. Okay. We, we, we have we, to we, get we, to yeah. it. <laughs> you, you can spoil anybody except me. So I will, I will try to zoom through Rebels and, and by our next episode, maybe we can talk about all that too. <laughs> Yeah, well, I know we were talking before that after we get through Clone Wars, uh, having a sit-down chat like this, going through Rebels, I think will be really fun. Yeah, yeah. I think it's definitely true. Um, what about the hour mark? Uh, any other kind of last thoughts or comments people want to throw in before we sign off? Mandalore. Mandalore. Oh. Mandalore. Yeah. That's it. Do you get that reference? I don't. Okay. I told you he wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You were right. <laughs> it's a sign. Well, I will also add my obscure reference that... Darksaber has previously, the name Darksaber has previously appeared in Star Wars Legends in a novel of that name where it's actually a modified Death Star laser that has turned into a starship. So it's basically like instead of a big, uh, a big sphere, it's just the laser with like a hyperdrive attached to it. Oh, As a sword? No, oh. as, a, as a starship, right. as a weapon. Uh, <laughs> That would be huge. Okay. Yeah. It, that, that's where hun- I thought he was going. At first, I thought it was like a little mini, like, no. Death Star <laughs> laser generates the sword. But then I understood you meant a ship. So that's pretty awesome. So It's a, it's a hut clan. And, it, and it's built, like, very shoddily. So it doesn't even end up, like, working well. Right. Yeah. That tracks. All right. Well, to our fans, thank you so much. As uh, Sarah said, you know, um, all I was saying there, we welcome the feedback. I just want, you know... What struck me about this feedback was the person was saying, like, he was disappointed because he expected more of us. And I just want to be clear, like, there's great, great podcasts out there that really try and go deep. And they're going to promise you that everything they say is totally well researched with everything beyond it. Whereas, you know, if that's what you're looking for, this may not be the podcast for you. Um, Here, Riki's going to do some great research. I'm going to always try to look things up as, you know, Sarah, I know you know a lot of things. Uh, (laughs) Jeff and I. Um, are going to often try and uh, go deep on the research for the other one. But a lot of the times we're talking about 
what would a more casual fan know watching all this? And so I just wanted to kind of make that that point clear. Um, but yeah, to fans, so please do write in. If we got stuff wrong and you want to correct us, definitely do that. Tell us what you think about uh, the, the rom-com we had here. Tell us what you think about attachment and the oh. neutrality policies. Uh, would love to hear your thoughts on any of that. So on behalf of myself, Sarah and Ricky, uh, and everyone else involved in this, thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.